are you wanting me to do the points and you join in Richie or are you want to do yours and alternate or whatever you, you want to do you yeah uh, we'll start with you just because I'm a bit less confident because I, okay. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing it, it will, so you, you go first and then I'll join in it will chop and change and the game plan does sort of morph into other bits and bobs and if you know some points become kind of the same or we naturally get to another point that we haven't mentioned yet so we bring that forward kind of idea okay so cool. you, it's mostly just winging it to be right, honest cool. with you. i know that sounds really surprising by the polished professional production you may hear at the end result <laughs> i know it's, it's so funny mostly it, just winging it it's sort of building yeah. this up as if i'm going into an actual courtroom yeah i know i was, <laughs> I was like Richie, this yeah. podcast. Yeah. You, know, so, you know i'll only answer to my lud <laughs> we do um sagacity. Although Ben and Mark in the line. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the corner of Doctor Who fandom that's been entertaining itself during lockdown by visiting every single B&M store in the country and drawing moustaches and all the mighty eight action figures with a sharpie. It's the Polis Box, the podcast that puts Doctor Who in the dock. I'm Lee. I'm Dave. And I'm Cameron. And welcome one, welcome all to the second part of the trial of the trial of a Time Lords uh, specials. We're going to be doing mind warp this time round. Oh, we are. Oh, we are indeed. We are going to be mind warp to the best of its ability it certainly it's... is mind warp <laughs> so to help us through the next two hours of absolute sheer hell <laughs> talking about mind I warp. beg your pardon ah <laughs> uh, the impartial judge excuse yeah. me <laughs> i cannot help but feel that the, the judge is uh, somewhat predetermined here so can we have another one we're go- today we're going to be going through the wonderful awe-inspiring genre-defining mind warp Right, carry on. So to help <laughs> so to help us out, we've got two more guests. Please welcome the host of I Hate Doctor Who, which returns next week for a ten part interview with Philip Morris and Ian Levine. It's Richie Morgan. Hi, how you doing? I knew this call I knew this call would come finally. I never realised it would be to defend mind warp. But here we are. Taken out of time against your will and transported <laughs> here. Yeah. <laughs> to suffer. So it's that which, um, that when uh, when he gets when the beam comes down, the TARDIS appears. But it's me making a pizza, <laughs> and reverse out of my kitchen into my into my spare room to sit down and record a podcast. <laughs> so Richard, you're going to be defending alongside Cameron. Yep. Mm-hmm. My learned joining, colleague, Mr. Morgan. Hi. And joining Dave this week, a man who invites you, the listeners, to say a prayer for the defence team as he prosecutes a story that contains a scene where a character is quite literally hungry like the wolf from the New to Who podcast and the other side of the world, it's Stephen B. Thank you very much. Uh, what an introduction. Honoured to be here and cannot wait to rip into Mind Warp. <laughs> Having seen the notes, I can imagine you are champing at the bit just to <laughs> sharpen the elbows out and dig in. My, my word, yeah. I, um, all joking aside, I do believe this is the very worst story of Doctor Who, both classic and new. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's get started. <laughs> Your Honour, that's Lovely. Cannot... That cannot stand whilst <laughs> fear <Fierhead> exists. 
Alright, that's the very worst of all two. How's that? No, nope, wouldn't even say that. So really, what are you saying that is this is worse than? You're saying that every new, or every old two story is like better than this? No, there's no, 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 like, no, no, no. there's this, like tons. This, this had a this has a pedestal that we need to put on. Anyway, let's yeah, <laughs> but digressing, yeah. you know, aren't we? Let, let's <laughs> not start the summing up quite now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then shall we get started on mind warp then? Yes, we probably better. Aye. Okay, so let's, let's return. Let's do the mind warp again. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's been in my head for about 20 minutes. <laughs> sorry. And it'll be in your head for the next two hours. <laughs> I'm just going to start mumbling it every now and then. Okay, so let's return once again to 1986, the rock and roll years, to a story where the entire budget was blown on ear defenders for cast members who weren't Brian Blessed. It's time to put Mind Warp on trial. You think this wise, Doctor? My dear girl, if I stop to question the wisdom of my actions, I'd never have left go, Brian. After a decade of hard work, I can transform the evolutionary process and conquer death. The possibilities are endless. As from today, Doctor, I can put any brain in any body, anywhere. Doctor, what's wrong with you? I see my own interests. I place myself first. But what about me? You are expendable, you have no value! Tomorrow, they intend to take the brain of the Lord, Kim, and transplant it into my body! He will possess my body! To prevent that, I must please the mentors, Perry. If that means sacrificing you in my place, then that is the way it must be. I have altered the basis of all future life. Kim's brain is inside the head of that repulsive earth being. No! This is what I wanted to achieve from the very beginning. I have transferred only the contents of his mind into the brain of the woman. And what of the Earth woman's mind? Gone! Mentally, she no longer exists. So, Mind Warp was parts 5 to 8 of series 23 of Doctor Who. It was written by Philip Martin, directed by Ron Jones and produced by John Nathan Turner. It starred Colin Baker as the Doctor, Nicola Bryant as Perry, Linda Bellingham as the Inquisitor and Michael Jaston as the Valyard, with Nabil Shaban as Sill, Christopher Ryan as Kiv, Patrick Riker as Crozier and Brian Blessed as King Yurkanos. It was broadcast between the Saturday the 4th of October and Saturday the 25th of October 1986 and the viewing figures were 4.8 million for part 1, 4.6 million for part 2, 5.1 million for part 3 and 5 million for part 4. Cameron and Richie, you're going to defend. Uh, Dave and Stephen, you're prosecuting. 
Yep. Yep. So who wants to go first? Defence? I am willing to let the prosecution go first. Okay. Uh, before we do that, should we do opening statements? No. Okay. Let's, let's get straight into it. This bag <laughs> of crap. <laughs> we, we, I haven't prepared one, so let's not do that. Okay. Let's go straight into the, straight into the evidence. Cameron, first point for the defence, please. I thought the prosecution were going first. <laughs> See, this is what happens when he records sober. <laughs> well, well, it's probably fair that I go first because there's just so much evidence for the prosecution. Okay, and the defense doesn't have much going for it. Okay, then first point for the prosecution, then Dave. Through these, I'm going to try and keep my prosecution points relatively similar. So, my first point last episode was about the production values. So, my first point on this one is also the production values. This opens with a very, very well lit, possibly overlit pastel scene where it's like they've used every pastel crayon in the world on the lens and then it goes into a dark cave where you can't see anything and it flips back between the two and Cameron's probably going to say it's where I watched it and the copy I've got and it looked fine on his Blu-ray but it's nonsense because when it was originally broadcast it would have been borderline impossible to watch because he would have had a small screen that looked like a child had vomited colours on it, followed by black scenes, and it kept switching. Which is fine, because, yeah, they move out of that, and they stop the pastel, and they get out of the dark caves. But then at the very end, the slow motion blurring is horrendous again. Because it doesn't sound like it's slow motion, mostly because it's Brian Blessed, and he sounds like he's in slow motion anyway. But all the scene looks blurred, and you can't actually make out what's happening. So that's the first part of the prosecution. You can't actually see what's happening some of the times. And it's badly produced, badly lit. Again, we must go back to the question I asked in the uh, previous court sitting, which was how light would Sir like his dark caves to be? Light enough to see what's happening. It's a television show. It doesn't have to be actually filmed in a dark cave with the lights out. Okay. It's not a radio play. I mean, that, that it had that... Was it more poorly lit than your average Doctor Who cave? Yes. I think, it was, okay. I think it was the contrast. Oh, you mean the jumping from pastel. the beach to the... Yeah, because when it jumps from the beach to the cave, you take a minute for your eyes to adjust, and then it goes back to the beach and you're blinded again by the pink. Although I would also say that the lack of light on that first uh, monster, I can't remember what it's called, sorry. The first monster that attacks them, uh, hiding a lot of that monster <laughs> probably <laughs> is beneficial to the story overall. <laughs> I would say so. I would say so. There are certain production uh, uh, sort of things that needed done, and I would agree with my learned colleague that um, the first monster perhaps um, is given a better introduction when more is left to the imagination in dark corners than it possibly would be having bright light shone on it. It's funny because... Oh, sorry. No, it's fine. Go for it. No, I was going to say what (laughs) some of the production... The production values are something I actually quite enjoyed about it. I think it was just because in in the wider context of Doctor Who, rather than say production values in general <laughs> um, there was a lot of stuff that I liked here like the kind of uh, composition of the wider shots them obviously doing some sort of picture in picture patching some good vision mixing and I always really enjoyed the beach the opening beach scene because I can't believe in all that time making the show they didn't try to do some weird color mixing vision mixing with the to make it a bit more alien and bizarre so I I, that, that, I mean I don't know. I, I, I guess it is. It is. You're right. It's kind of sickly, but at the same time, the sort of the weirdness of it and the slight unpleasantness of it gave it a bit of a kick for me that I quite enjoyed. It was just different. It was. A, it was. I think. I think for me, like it was definitely a show that was trying 
really like throwing a lot of things at it to try and rejuvenate and try and give it something new, something bit more of an edge. So I think it also defines it as an alien planet at the start with the sort of weird aura about it and like the the, the purple water and all this kind of stuff. Mm. You know, otherwise, what you're going to be, you're going to be another quarry in Wales or a, another sort of part of the British coast with a filming on. That's all it would be. And you'd be complaining about, oh, it just looks like every other Doctor Who, really. Whereas this at least gives it some sort of unique factor about it. Hmm. And, and I don't necessarily have a problem with the brightly lit beach scenes. I have a problem that the overly dark cave scenes where you can't make out what's happening and the fact they kept switching between the two, it made it difficult to watch. I don't think you switch that much, though, do you? One, they're at the beach at the start, and then they're back on it when he's later on when sort of Perry's changed the Perry. ropes. Yeah. But just, and just that's the about first it. few it's minutes. Two. Yeah, but then they go back, they go into the cave, and they don't sort of come back. They're not exactly sort of, you know, doing the hokey cokey in and out of the cave. You know what I mean? That's not quite what that's happening, Dave. <laughs> fine, that's fine. That was my first point for the prosecution, it was about the production, but that's fine. This feels. I this. I've never been in a podcast where people disagree. Like the whole point of it is for people to disagree. It's very welcome. Kind of welcome, Richie. Slightly uncomfortable. Welcome to the war. <laughs> the whole point is we don't take it personally, Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just wait till it elevates to name calling. It should be. Well, if it's anything like last week, me and Ben are never going to speak again. At one point, I thought Ben and Mark weren't going to speak again. Yeah, I exactly. thought we thought we'd like done it on the time lashing completely. Okay. Okay then. Uh, in that case, first point for defence. Then who wants to go on that? Um, I can go if you want, Richie. Yeah, go for it, Cameron. Okay, cool. Um, this is probably the most unique exit of a Doctor Who companion that has ever been and quite possibly ever will be. Um, there's no beaches in Norway, no Bad Wolf Bay, no accidentally dropping off in Aberdeen. Having Perry just having her mind ripped out, replaced by something else entirely and unleashing rage upon everyone. Um, her last moments on the show are memorable because there's nothing like this has ever been done before. And uh, Nicola Bryant herself in the DVD extras actually says that she wished that had been Perry's canonical exit rather than the sort of more happy bolt on that they put onto it later on in the series. Um, so yeah, for f- exits of a Doctor Who companion, you can't quite beat Mind Warp. Come at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great exit. If they'd left there, that, which they didn't. So it's not really her exit. It's not the end of a companion. I think it, It's um, a fake end of a companion. We would no. It's it's uh, in the context of this story and this story alone, which, as you always say, Dave, we're not doing the other story. We're doing mind warp. So here we are, Dave, doing mind warp. See, we never let it get personal. It's fine. No, we don't. We don't jive each other at all. The only thing I would say is a shame that she doesn't get more of an opportunity to um, to play the the baddie at the end there. Mm. I can't. Draw, sorry, I've got the character's name in front of me here. I've completely forgot. I'm, I'm really bad at character names. Um, it's Kiv. Kiv. Yeah. yeah, she doesn't get more of an opportunity to be Kiv a little bit more, but that was co- that was kind of fun. Yeah, um, it's a bit of a waste because she had an opportunity to play a different character in the same. Oh movie. no, I gave him ammo. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's fine. It actually, leads into one of my points for the prosecution. <laughs> the the Doctor has a change of personality in this episode, but he doesn't. There's scenes where they go. Why, Doctor, you're completely different. Why can't you understand this? And he's not different. He's still just a smug dick. <laughs> he's basically so, doing exactly the same character, even though he's meant to have changed. Okay, so with that in mind, you'd prefer this, uh, you know, we're talking about Perry. This is a completely 180 from what Perry usually is, yeah? Yes. Right, so, so you'd prefer this. 
I think Perry's change of personality massively shows up the fact that the Doctor's change of personality doesn't actually exist. He goes from being smug and not particularly caring about anyone else, and he changes completely to being smug and not really caring about anyone else. But that's alright, because at the end he remembers and changes back and he's smug and doesn't care about anyone else. <laughs> so I think the point you're trying to get across is that Colin Baker's Doctor is smug and doesn't care about anybody else, yeah? <laughs> you might think that, Your Honour. I couldn't say that. Okay. I did five times. I I actually think the uh, the way in which Perry written, is written out is is one of the most heinous things that we've seen in classic Doctor Who. Um, there is no excuse for it. This is a family television show aimed primarily at children, and you have a beloved character, or at least a character that is meant to be beloved, uh, written out in a way that is absolutely harrowing. In fact, um, it, it is a strong exit. I will give you that. It is a memorable one. I don't think it necessarily means it is a a good one. Um, you can sort of compare it to to Adric, and and Adric, I guess, as a character, never really worked, and we were all kind of happy to see the back of him. And so when he blew up with the dinosaurs, I think we all gave a bit of a cheer. But that's not what happens here with Perry, not at all. Um, <laughs> and I think it's one of those um, badly misjudged, you know, atonal kind of uh, moves that Doctor Who does in the JNT years that is, is probably one of the worst things that Classic Who actually ever did. And the reason for that, and I'm going to, at this point, uh, just sort of harken back to to the uh, character arc, I guess, that, that Perry is given as a character, which is that she doesn't actually have a, a character arc. She instead, in, in place of that, essentially has a rape narrative uh, enforced upon her. She is introduced as an object of the male gaze in her first story. Shara's Jack um, is, is, uh, is then the character that we have in the next story that sort of reduces uh, Perry's character to, to someone who is meant to be ogled and touched and lusted after by creepy old men. And it keeps happening again and again throughout season 22 in the course. How does that pay off? A creepy old guy gets his hands <laughs> on Perry's body and that's how the character is written out. And again, if this isn't one of the most ill-judged and horrific endings for a character uh, and uh, you know, terribly, terribly misjudged, then I don't know what is. And I, I feel like Nicola Bryant just deserved better. Uh, when you say creepy old man, I'm just interested in who you're referring to. Are you referring to Crozier, the scientist, or are you referring to Brian Blessed, British institution? <laughs> <laughs> right, order, order, attempting to Objection! I will, I will ask all, Mr all Phillips. All the above. <laughs> But actually, Kiv, um, it's Kiv who, who possesses uh, Perry's body in the end. And it is a sci-fi twist on the, on the rape narrative. Instead of you know, there being a, an explicit rape of her, of her body, instead her, her mind is, is taken over and her body is taken over as a result. It's just a sci-fi trapping for essentially a rape narrative for a character that really did deserve a lot better than she got. Uh, and that is yeah. my fundamental objection to the way in which Mind Warp plays out and uh, the way in which Perry is written out at the end of it. I was thinking about this earlier on when I saw your note about this, that Perry just doesn't have a day off in this sort of thing and the entire time no. she's in Doctor Who, is she? I, I was thinking I was that yesterday, think, yeah. like, Perry, like, poor Perry is sort of uh, part of the Doctor's life during a very miserable period. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah Perry, Perry used to hang about with me when everything was terrible. <laughs> and we never had any fun. <laughs> no, no, exactly. And you have to think back, maybe even to Victoria, in terms of a character who just so fundamentally hated her time aboard the Tartars. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think Victoria is a particularly strong character, and I don't think she's even a particularly likable one because she is just so nagging and just so desperate to get off the Tartars. Um, Nicola Bryant's 
far more charming, I think. And I think uh, Perry's character is conceived in a very different way so that, you know, she does want to be on board for whatever reason. God only knows because it's basically an abusive relationship with the six doctors that she has. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if, if there has ever been a character, a, a companion character who has had a worse time on the TARDIS than Perry. Yeah, and there's that scene where she's saying that she wants to go home, but it's not that she's homesick. She just wants to be somewhere else. She doesn't want it to be like this anymore. Yeah, And, and exactly. that speech is basically the hallmark of PTSD and depression, which isn't a surprise. Really? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, can you blame her? Everything that she's gone through, this is a character who is absolutely, um, you know, if this was a real-life character, this is someone who would need to have uh you know therapy for the rest of their lives if they if they weren't possessed by you know an evil mentor and their body taking over that is <laughs> and that's basically the final point of this the story of perry and this is that her only value is as a body not her yeah. personality nothing to do that she's only good for her body the yeah, rest of can get thrown say, away yeah they they chain her up as if she was you know tied to the tracks in a you know perils of pauline kind of uh, mm. you know, 1920s movie she's there on the rocks of sorrows or whatever it's called and you know, the doctor's being nasty to her. And that's another point I think that the prosecution will raise later on. Um, but it's just a fundamentally miserable experience when really Doctor Who as an aspirational uh, program should be showing and, you know, depicting, you know, travel and all the rest of it is wonderful. And, 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 and the human companions to the doctor being enriched by their experiences aboard the TARDIS rather than being absolutely, you know, horrifically scarred by it. But you're talking about harrowing. And I would say that Doctor Who should always have moments like that. It should always have moments like, oh, geez, and that stick in your head, you know, and like aren't sort of like traumatizing, but are, you know, certainly ones that are etched in your memory for a good day, you know, good while to come. Yeah, and yeah. there's nothing wrong with having harrowing scenes. That's usually the cliffhanger at the end of the episode. By the end of the story arc, it's all sorted out and everyone's happy. At the end of this story arc, somebody who we've been traveling with no longer exists. And they're being used as a puppet by an evil alien. But this is part of the overall arc of the actual trial, in that they're trying to put across, at this point, how the Doctor, in his kind of sometimes callous nature, can mistreat his people he's travelling with, and this is the end result of it. So it has to be this difficult thing. It has to be this sort of high-stakes thing. It can't be sort of like, oh, she just trips off a little bit somewhere and sort of, you know, sprains her ankle. I guess it is the midpoint. I mean, I'm going back on what Cameron said earlier, but it is the midpoint of a story. So the, we're in the dip before... It's the midpoint of the arc, but the end yeah. of the story, which to quote Cameron, we're only yeah. discussing the story, not the series. <laughs> At the end of this story, it's a very dark end. And if you just view this story on its own, then there's no happy ending. But if you view the story on its own... And the purpose of that story is to make you feel a particular way by the end of it, and that is unpleasant, then surely it's done its job. But is that what Doctor I, Who should be aiming for? By the end exactly, of the story, you feel David. unpleasant. In no, this exactly. instance, it, yes. So it's not a good Doctor Who story, you're saying? Because no, in this instance, it doesn't do what Doctor Who's meant no, to do. It's the, no, you know, see, in this instance, in this setup of this story, no, it shouldn't be. All is not happy clouds in this story and that's fine and sometimes that's okay all right then i think it's i think it's a lot of it must uh, ugh, I, I might be going down a bit of a dead end here but like in 1986 i was three years old so i honestly couldn't comment but i mean what what was the audience looking for at that time is it maybe like there's obviously a big 
push what with the sixth doctor and to try and make the show a little bit darker a little bit edgier mm. uh, which obviously you know had its moments and had its clangers but um yeah it kind of feeds into that overall style doesn't it it does that, i think we're talking about two separate things here right mm-hmm. you can make doctor who dark you can make it scary and that's essentially the Hinchcliffe era right or yeah. it could even be certain sections of the moffat years as well there's nothing wrong necessarily in doing that but it's the spirit in which that's done right and I mm-hmm. feel like there is such a fundamentally nasty spirit to the way mm-hmm. in which that particular, you know, middle era of the JNT years is done that really, un- uh, you know, uh, undoes a lot of the, the magic of Doctor Who. And that's a trite thing to say. I understand that. And people will always say, well, you know, on the other side, you've got the A-team and there's a sort of rise of casual violence in, in television and film as well. You know, mm-hmm. we have you know, Schwarzenegger and, and, and um, Stallone films sort of yeah. coming out every summer. Um, so it was the era, but I'm not. I'm not sure that's the case because um, it, it doesn't have to be that that is is what Doctor Who becomes. You know, we, in a year or two's time, we have a very very different view of, and version of Doctor Who. Whilst you know you've still got Commando and Predator coming out in the cinemas, you know it's not like um, you know Doctor Who has to mirror everything that's happening in the in the big old nasty world. And if it does, then let's do it in a way that is actually an examination of how that applies to the Doctor Who context. And the Doctor Who context, what I mean by that is essentially the hero without a gun. So what do you do when you place someone who is not a pacifist, but fundamentally someone who believes in doing things in a better way? There's always a better way. There has to be a better way. Um, You know, the Doctor sort of says that over and again. uh, except in this instance, there isn't a better way. You know, so so you know, Colin Baker's doctor's often seen with a gun. Uh, you know, he's got you know handy little quips every time you know someone seems to die. <laughs> like the, the, there's just this undercurrent of nastiness that sort of is is, is um, you know pins underpins the the entire that entire era. And I can't help but wonder: is that actually just a, a natural reflection of what the cultural zeitgeist is at the, at that point? You know, the video nasties the. Uh, uh, you know the the rise of violence, etc. In, in, in that sort of uh, in, in the um, mid '80s culture, etc. Or is it actually just a fundamental misreading of how that applies to Doctor Who? Um, and I have to veer towards the latter because you have a look at what Doctor Who is before and afterwards, which is essentially the same period of time, mm-hmm. and they are two very very different things. Um, and yeah, that nastiness, that sort of grounding and grittiness and violence, which doesn't actually result in any kind of enjoyable kind of story um i just don't think it's a valid way of, of telling doctor who really and then that's a personal preference i know that but that's um that's something that i just can't abide by in, in my doctor who and uh, that's why mind warp is my least favorite of all doctor who stories yeah i think the doctor is and this the doctor is a, possibly the most narcissistic he ever is mm. it's all about yeah. him and he's the one that matters I Every think, other doctor, they try and help people, educate people, get involved with things. He just does whatever he feels yeah. like. No, I, I no, was kind of going. I was kind of. Oh, sorry. No. No. Before I, I, veer, I was going to veer off somewhere else, so you go first. No, no, it's okay. I'm, I'm going to come back to it because there is a there is another point that sort of flows on from this from something else that we've got. So, so I'll, okay. I'll, yeah, one of the things I put down in my defence, which kind of feeds into some of the stuff that you're saying, is uh, I quite enjoy the story as a sort of uh, comment on kind of. 80s excess and capitalism and hedonism and like I sort of I really enjoyed the idea actually of the commodifying the the mind and experience and knowledge and trying to find a ways to to extend that because of you know to maintain its value so the the mind swapping and then obviously you've got the whole idea of you know commodifying the body 
I always find I I find that quite interesting just because I I really like science fiction in general. I really like uh, how these issues are tackled and commented on at the time because they sort of create a nice little time capsule of ideas and opinions from what what is going on in the world at the time. So I I, I quite like Mind Warp from the point of view of how it's viewing the world at that point. No, I, I agree with you, Richie, in the sense that all of these are perfectly valid sci-fi tropes and ideas to be explored. Um, and I think Martin does uh, something you know, similar in terms of the the examination of, you know, uh, ways in which labour is, you know, estranged, uh, you know, from the, uh, the Verosian workers in, in, in Vengeance on Barros, for instance. And, you know, there's, there's concerns around, you know, capitalist exploitation and, and, and media violence and all the rest of it in that story. And that seems to be maybe the the limit to which you know doctor who sort of pushes in that direction without you know crossing that line but i think it does cross the line here and it's a creative choice you know to to not just examine you know the commodification of of, of, of knowledge if you like or you know um, extension of, of of life through through science and technology all of those things are perfectly valid but like the way in which it's explored the way in which there's a dramatic framework through which those ideas are conveyed I feel like it's just too far. There's a line that's been stepped over. And when you start to have, you know, characters that we've been following for, you know, a good couple of years now, you know, act in these ways, like the way that the Doctor does and, you know, meet these horrible fates in the way that Perry does. And I think we've just, we've, we've jumped that shark. We've gone far too far in that direction. And there's nowhere to go except reeling it back in. And as we see in the next season, go in a very, very different direction. Yeah, there is yeah. a night and day between this and Black Orchid really, isn't there? Some boy falls off a roof. Your companion's killed in a horrific way. Doesn't quite balance up, does it? Quite. Just to fill in the gap, one of the things, one of the things I did enjoy about it, really great cast. Yeah, I really enjoyed the cast, Um, and obviously Sill. Like, I hate Sill. I hate to look at Sill. I hate every time Sill speaks, but I love that I hate hate him. That makes sense. I love to hate him, basically. That was yeah. going to oh, be grim. my yeah. one of my points for the defense was the character of Sill is delightful in his greed and groveling for those oh. in power above him. Yeah. For me, Vengeance on Varus is a highlight of Colin Baker's run, so it's a wonderful to see Sill slime his way back into the story. Can I can I just address something that uh, Richard just said? There, are you are you saying you find disabled actors on television physically repulsive? No. Right, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> can we just real? <laughs> Let's reel that back. (laughs) (laughs) What I mean is, is that's what we heard, Richie. Yep, that's the quote we're going to use. No, it's every time he does that thing with his tongue and the 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 minnows and the the, oh, you'll never eat lime jelly again. Oh no, no. But also, I had I don't know. I, I like like I said last time I watched Mind Warp, I was really sick. And then the time I've only watched this is like maybe the third time I've watched it. Um, I had no idea that was uh, Christopher Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> it was a sort of moment. There was a sort of moment of realization at the end, round about the end of episode one. I was like, oh, <laughs> and he is. But yeah, no, the the I mean, they're like that. That brings me onto the prosthetic work as well. Like they're in, like incredible creature designs. Those guys are just one of the best through the whole run of the original series. Like I think. Uh, their look is great and it's just a really inventive design, I think. That's definitely an argument to be made that they are, if not the most memorable, but one of mm. the most memorable villains in not just the 80s Doctor Who, but the whole run. Mm. 
what are we talking like sills kind of species here yeah i can't remember, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what they're Sil- called uh mentors that's the one yeah that's the one. um it's um i think there's a reason why sill got brought back because he was well a the actor said yes uh, would be the one reason <laughs> always and helps. Uh, that always helps kind of and uh, b it's just he's he's and i know i keep i always do this as a thing of like you know wrestling as a framework for dramatic uh, anything (laughs) drama Sill is the heel in this entire story in that he's wonderfully evil totally up his own and you itch to see him get his arse kicked and that's what makes him work you want him to just dry out you know you want someone to come along dump a whole bucket of salt on him and just watch him bubble and die (laughs) no and he's not even like the main villain he's just kind of kicking about being a wee dick but it still works because he's still like the instant he's still there kind of like it works in the fact that he has sort of disdain for the doctor disdain for perry but then he you know anyone above him like um kiv is uh mm. he will be like you know oh, your lord and master and it's just like ah oh, he's, he's fantastic he just i did enjoy kiv's when kiv regains consciousness and the first thing is the this cells <laughs> yes. face coming into this, this, focus this kind of, a great moment it's kind of like, <laughs> definitely know what you want to wake up to first thing in the morning really is it <laughs> not really no <laughs> and uh patrick reichardt is crozier as well I, I really like crozier he was so sinister and he was just a really he just <laughs> i don't know i just really liked him as an evil scientist he wasn't particularly mad he was very cold yeah, he's, he's he's very yeah. much a man of of evidence and science, and um, he does he's over the top staring at the doctor's head as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's uh, <laughs> yeah, ah, yeah, I remember that bit. He, it allows him to engage in full on hammer horror esque lightning bolts on top of the castle in Transylvania, mm. kind of like wandering around in a lab coat kind of idea. Um, yeah, I'd say he's also cracking as well. So for character and um, cast, then yes, Richie, I would agree with my learned colleague, Mr. Morgan. <laughs> it does have one of those actively voices that it sounds like it's been dubbed on afterwards as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Also, just yeah. Noticed, yeah. You? <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Great voice. Yeah. I think all of that is fair. All I will say is imagine if there was a script to go with those performances and with those actors. I think a lot of it is wasted. You know, Patrick Rycraft is wonderful, but he does very little other than sort of underplay against everyone else who is, you know, bombastic and loud and well over the top. Everyone seems to be screaming and shouting. And it's almost as though they're trying to hide the fact that, well, is this it? Is this how thin the story actually is? There's there's not much in the way of plot and there's certainly nothing in the way of characterization. And the only thing that we do get is really from the performers themselves. And they're wonderful. But again, just imagine how wonderful they could have, more wonderful they could have been if they actually had something to to get their teeth into. I think that's a real failing of this script um, in terms of the plot, uh, in terms of the characterization. You know, the, there seems to be an interminable procession and chase through corridors and, you know, you know cave, uh, caveways uh, and all the rest of it. Um, it seems to be all delaying tactics. There's, you know, uh, tension that's sort of built up for no particular reason and then sort of, you know, alleviated because, you know, Perry punches the gun out of out of Yukanos's uh, hand, you know, it's like it's it's very very slight. And I just wonder what they, if they actually had a wonderful script that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, did justice to to the, to the brilliant cast that they do have on board. Yeah, but there's a lot of threads in this. 
And when you get all those threads together, instead of having a story, all they've got is a pile of threads. You've you've got this evil doctor with no backstory. You've got these slaves who might rebel, might not. There's no story there. How did they become slaves? How did they become... We don't know. Nobody tells us anything. (laughs) One man's pile of threads is another man's jumper. (laughs) (laughs) And that's your episode title right there. (laughs) Right there. Yeah, I roll that down as one of the points for the prosecution. There's so many factions in this story, and none of them are linked up in any good way. And it gets to the point that you don't necessarily know who's on which side, and you don't really care either. (laughs) Because, like, oh, there's a black guy in a fascist suit. He's one of the guards. Oh, there's a black guy in leather. He'll be one of the bearers. Oh, there's a Pakistani Indian bloke dressed up as a Native American. He's probably a good guy then. And, and there's loads of tribalism and sides in this, but none of them seem to have any personality behind them. They're just like place fillers yeah. and stereotypes. I think, yeah. I think the black guys in Lila are more of Gary Downey booking than anything else. Possibility. Possibility. We could not possibly comment on such things, though. <laughs> but we uh, will. <laughs> but you will. <laughs> uh, well, in doing that, you are saying that Brian Blessed as Yukanos is somehow not memorable and bland. Well, he you really see, I, threw everything he could at that, didn't he? He's really. I, I, like, I think it's impossible for him not to throw yeah. everything he possibly can at everything. He is essentially playing, and I forget the name, a very similar character to what he was in Flash Gordon. Yeah. Um, in that he is the, the, you know, the barbarian. So he is obviously a defined force against Crozier. Yeah, I was gonna say you can tell with Brian Blessed that he's obviously the kind of actor when he turns up in set, he's so invested in every single note and line that he's given <laughs> that he's just and everyone's probably standing around, going, okay, okay, so yes, yes. <laughs> you know, he's getting right into the lore and right into the character and he's just going for it. But, yeah, he's done that... play school was very memorable. <laughs> But that's exactly proving my point. I didn't mention Brian Blessed when I mentioned all those factons because I'd forgotten about the samurai Viking king. Where did he come from? Why is he there? Why is he fighting? Nobody cares. He just wanders around shouting at everyone. Was he not a potential body donor? But, but right at the beginning, yes, yeah. Yeah, we need a body donor. Let's go get a king. Who's he the king of? Is he the king on this planet? King somewhere else? Did they just find that Brian Blessed was available to work that week, so they just wrote a samurai Viking from to <laughs> shout about? But, and, he, yep. and he actually shows that he can act with not shouting. He does it in a couple of scenes. There's like two scenes where they don't make him shout every line. Well, and I don't think I don't think anyone makes force. him shout every line. I think he just does that naturally of his own volition. <laughs> Possibly. Do you think? Do you do you think that scene with the the fella that just asked him to be quiet? <laughs> Do you think that was added late on after a few days of having him on set? We should try to see where somebody can he deal with. Someone, I've got a banging headache. Just someone that's, tell Brian to tone it down, please. That's Christ. actually, that's the sound recordist. Just on, they've just filmed him on set. But also, do you think that character was part of the inspiration for Marvin the Paranoid Android? Because that was the instant vibe I got from him. It's like, all right then, I'll let you in the doors. And that's what it felt like. Which character is this? The, um, the, the wee old guy that's guarding. The third name, then. I, I still. The, the yeah. Mental, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Aye, aye. I know the one that's. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
Please yeah. don't let him shout at me again. Yeah, Caesar, <laughs> you'll probably hear him before you can see him. Carry on. I just long for the release of death. <laughs> <laughs> Especially after watching Mind Warp. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Excuse me! Excuse me! I feel I'm just, that... I'm just saying what some people might say, not necessarily my own views. <laughs> right then, next point for the defence, Cameron. Uh, I'm just looking down my list and I'm trying to see something that we, you know, there might be occasional bits that we've kind of just touched on before. I think I've covered everything. <laughs> I was going to say, I think. <laughs> Thank you and good night. <laughs> that the defence rests. Oh, no. Richie's kind of like burnt through the cannon quite quickly here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I was thinking that in the back of my head, like Richie's fairly going. Um, <laughs> right, okay, you've got um, a position already, Stephen. Go for it. Right, Mind Warp is a story that shows us what would occur if the Doctor was not the character we know and love him to be up until this point. Uh, this shows us because the Matrix is starting to break. Or not, well, it's not starting to break, but it is starting to maybe show some untruths and evidence of being tampered with. Um, it allows us to show us, a, you know, that shows a doctor who is completely only invested in himself, not invested in his companions, anyone around him, not sticking around really to help anyone, happy to leave chaos in his wake and to damned with the consequences. It's an interesting flip side of the usual Doctor Who canon. And for that reason, Mind Warp is a memorable insight into something of a Doctor Who parallel universe, if you pardon me, slight pun. Okay, anyone want to come in on that? So this shows the Doctor being not the Doctor. That's your defence for this. This shows the Doctor that Uro has having an interesting side to his character that we don't usually get to see and have not seen, especially in the previous five generations. Um, it's also a slight lead-on to... The, elu- the sort of alluding to the fact that the you know who the Valyard turns out to be, in that uh, it is this the unsavoury parts of the Doctor's character. In that you know we get elements of he's quite happy to chain his companion to the rocks to get information out of her, because the alternative is that his mind gets taken away. But also, um, is is it is it also? I mean, there's this also this idea that he can't remember doing a lot of the things that he's done. So it's obviously setting up for a bit of messing with what actually happened. Yeah. So it's obviously, again, it's leading the audience down this path of what's happening to the Doctor, why is he acting like this? And obviously leading the character down that path as well because he's seeing a lot of it himself and he, it's obviously distressing, like taking it from the courtroom scene's point of view, it's distressing for him to watch and it's distressing for himself to see him acting that way. So it's sort of adding another layer of mystery to the the overall arc. Mm-hmm. I mean, as we'll learn later on, this entire story is a lie. Mm. And it's... Um, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's spoilers from 1986. If, anyone, yeah. if you, you know, it allows this story, therefore, unanchored to the usual Gallifrey canon, it can take a lot more chances than maybe a standard Doctor Who story could. It reminds me of, uh, I mean, it doesn't really, it, this is very tenuous, but the second half of season six of the new ones, 
So you got the first few episodes where every time there's a there's a moment in every few every one of the episodes where the doctor has a moment where he allows someone to die, or he, you know, kind of takes a little bit of revenge on you know the Daleks or your man on dinosaurs in a spaceship, and then it all comes to a head in episode three. But I remember at the time everyone being like, "Well, that's not the doctor. The doctor doesn't act like that. This is rubbish now." And it's like, "Well, if you just watch it for a bit, <laughs> then we'll see why he's acting like this." There's a yeah. there's a seed being planted here. Yeah, exactly. Watch it grow, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, we had that sort of discussion when we done a town called Mercy, which is part yeah. of that run that Rich is talking about. But he's quite willing to hand over. Uh, I forget the character's name, but the scientist did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did quite yeah. hard to hand him over the gunslinger the week before he's blown up. Uh, but that was bringing it to the, face. bringing it to this. Uh, it was showing a side of his character that needs to be kept under control, under wraps, and what happens if he gets let loose. Too much on his own with he without his companions to ground him basically i realized that that's we're talking we're leading into an entirely different discussion but what the point i was making there is that by having him act that way in the first few episodes just to that may, was making the audience members go this there's something not right here there's something wrong here and then eventually leading to a payoff it's a sort of similar idea that you're making you're making him act in a certain way and it's making the audience uncomfortable so that later on we can get the and it's so that later on that we can have the reveal that okay it's not you know it's like an extended version of showing him being a baddie and then i'm not actually being a baddie does any of that make sense i'm sorry <laughs> no, that, makes <laughs> all, uh, that mr morgan makes all the sense in the world yeah that makes sense i'm trying to think about a shoe it down now by the way cummings anyone um, want to comment on that dave i want to but i'm struggling to that was a okay. well-made well, point Stephen, Steve. look, I'm, I'm happy to um, go for it <laughs> and i think well i think, I think I think it's a bit of a mess the way that it's, the whole thing is done. There's three possible explanations to the Doctor's actions. One, it's the Matrix that's been tampered with and all of this is lies, which maybe doesn't quite fit in what we, we know already and maybe what's said afterwards. Um, so that's debatable. The second thing is that the Doctor is acting out of character as a means of subterfuge to you know, get in with mentors before finally being able to you know, circumvent the nefarious plot. And the third one is essentially what happens at the end of part one, where his brain is scrambled and he is genuinely acting this way because he's now lost his mind. Now, of those three things, all of which are potentially dramatically feasible things to explore in a narrative, none of them are explained or examined or in any way paid off. So you just have this giant mess of why am I watching Dr. Bastard instead of Dr. Who? There is no dramatic dramatically feasible uh, explanation for what's going on am i a good man is a very good question and series eight proved prove that i believe right but we don't have any of that nuance we don't have any of that sort of dramatic uh, dramatically fulfilling uh, you know storytelling that's that's played out in this and, and and i think even in the end with uh, you know to extend this to parts 13 and 14 even then, we don't have that paid off. These are questions that, uh, you know, in the same way that the, the whole thing about Ravelox is, is raised and then dropped, you know, these questions are raised here but never explored again. And I know that the reason for that is the, the turmoil and the mayhem behind the scenes of the development of this season. But they had 12 months to get this right, and they didn't sit down and plot the whole thing out. And it shows it is just a mess. And, you know, it comes across, as I say, like Dr. Bastard, and we don't enjoy the story as a result because it's just... A, a heinous sort of representation of the Doctor as cowardly and cruel, and there's no payoff to it. Like, what is this for? What, what dramatic purpose is this leading towards? There isn't any. I'm liking the sound of Doctor Bastard. 
That, that's, a, that is a big Finn spin-off ad willingly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the that 24 discs. Oh, don't, don't tell them. Whatever you do. <laughs> yeah, we've already got a recent Yanto's Excellent Barbecue. We don't want to add full uh, on that fire, do we? My God. See what you did there, barbecue and throw fire on it. Yeah. It's what we pay the money for. <laughs> Anyone else want to come in on that then, at that point? Uh, no, no, no. I think that's a good, you know we can leave that to stand yeah. for the for the for the listeners to make their own mind up. Okay, then should we move on to the next? Cut this out, but he's right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's we'll stay in. Excuse me, Morgan. Excuse me. I feel that you and I need to have a small talk during the recess. <laughs> My chambers right now. <laughs> And not in a sexy way. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a big funny spin-off nobody wants to see. <laughs> okay, next point for the defence, Cameron. Uh, right. Um, Mind Warp allows Doctor Who to go full on with some good old-fashioned body horror. It's not so much a monster that could get you in this story, but more a process of having your mind torn up and restarted in someone else's body that causes the fear. So I, I, was, I was struck when I was watching this that it's not as if there's some monster walking around in the caves sort of killing everyone. There's no sort of physical embodiment of something to fear. It's more like a scientific process that on the surface of it is done for purposes of greed and clinging on to power uh, that in some ways is actually scarier than ever if there would be uh, you know, a, a monster in the dark kind of thing. Um, and I think that is quite an appealing prospect and something certainly to change up for the usual Who formula. It is, it's not the usual rubber-masked monster as the bad guy in this. It is the complete removal of your humanity, which yes. I think maybe is a bit too much of a scary thing for what is meant to be a children's show. It's it's not, hey, there's a monster over there, but it's okay, you can be safe from the monsters. It's, hey, just so you know, one day somebody might come around and remove your entire personality and make you no more. It's a bit heavy and dark for a kids' show. I mean, watching it as a 40-year-old man, that's fine. Oh, yeah, that's, it's almost proper horror film territory. You're going to get taken somewhere, chained down, and your mind will be ripped out and thrown away because your personality doesn't matter. That, that was the that... Conservative Party broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> Tory. <laughs> it's a very, very grown-up bad thing to fear. And yeah, it's the kind of thing they would do in a modern Who, where it's like, don't blink, because then the bad will get you. It's a very big fear that your entire personality will get ripped away from you. I would argue that this is a story and possibly a series about identity and how other people see that. Uh, and this is sort of the ultimate kind of you know, re response to that in that it's... You know, you, you are fundamentally changing someone, as we've already explored, you know, in many cases against their own will. Regarding, you know, your defence seems to sort of, you know, the prosecution seems to linger on the won't anyone think of the children. But I think you've got even like, you know, fairy stories, you know, like Hansel and Gretel getting cooked in ovens and things like that. I mean, this kind of like thing has been going on for, you know, aeons about, yeah. you know, stories about, you know, to scare children. Well, I would, don't show that I, I would also argue that at six o'clock on BBC One. I know, but I would also argue that 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 in terms of concepts and how something can be conceptually scary, it doesn't quite have the same effect on children as say 
something that's a bit more immediate and something that's a bit more visual. Uh, I'd say I'd say kids are probably not able to process. You know how when as as you get older, I think the weight of what's happening starts to hit you more. Like if you see people killed on telly when you're a kid, it means nothing. But as you get older and you start to realize what it means, then it gets to you. So I, I would I wouldn't necessarily argue there'd be a bit much for children in the sense that it would be too scary because I think it, I think it's just I think it would just be they wouldn't be able to process the weight of the events I don't think and I think that's part of the problem kids wouldn't be able to process it it's meant to be aimed at kids mm. it, it's fine saying oh it's okay kids can see it because they wouldn't be able to process it and understand it mm. but that's kind of the point of Doctor Who as it's meant to explain things like this to a younger audience before the mind of Mary Whitehouse is inhabiting Dave's body, um, <laughs> could we actually, which in itself is petrifying. Um, Are you saying my body's petrifying? All right, I'm a bit of a sheep, but that's harsh. Order, no personal slights. Do we actually know <laughs> what time of evening this was broadcast? I, I can check. I we don't, but we can look it up. Yeah. Let's have a look. Google uh, is magic. But yeah, to go back to Richie's point about seeing people die on telly you can get over that when you watch things like the a-team again nobody actually dies mm. it's a well-known joke that all the stuff like the a-team they're fired thousands of bullets but you don't see anyone die they're all That's fine right. and tied up at the end whereas in this you actually see perry's mind get wiped and her existence altered massively yeah but she turns into a sort of cartoon baddie though yes yeah, so rather she completely than changes so it's rather than believable. there being any sort of actual trauma she gets a lovely haircut. <laughs> I think Perry might have had a bit of a trauma with that one before, you know, she stopped existing. Oh, yeah. I just mean, like, in terms of how it's represented in the show. Yeah. Uh, Do you not feel it's dark in itself, though? You have, you know, uh, Nicola Bryant in the skull cap. Uh, you know, she, there's the, the filtering of the voice, so it sounds demonic almost. Like, that. that's pretty scary, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's it's scary, but I would say that it's it's no different from anything else that was around at the time. I mean, I'm trying to think of other examples of you know things that are aimed at kids that wouldn't be. Um, I can only think of, uh, for some reason Dungeons and Dragons comes into my mind. The fact that one of the kids dies in Dungeons and Dragons, and so it's just like you know, the, the, there's there's precedent for this in the 1980s. We might look back now with a bit more sort of sensitivity that we have nowadays and go oh that was a bit near the knuckle wasn't it for a broadcast at that time but um, at, at, when it was broadcast I still think there would be so much around it that would have been equal if not more Is it? I was thinking of things like like um, is it Green Death someone falls off a roof and the camera points down to the ground and you see the guy lying on the yeah it's Green Death he doesn't it fall Green Death, he runs. Yeah. Yeah, I mean stuff like that's really grim <laughs> There's a lot of that in the better year as well. Like yeah, yeah, and folk just falling off. Yeah. <laughs> except, it's like a four-year episode the, of Casualty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> except yeah. the difference here is is it's not you know um, uh, you know minor characters or, or characters that are you know the bad guys or whatever. It's 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 one of the two leads mm. of the show, um, and a, and a young woman as well, which you know has an enormous sort of. Uh, you know, horribly nasty, you know, implications in terms of gender representation and, you know, accusations of misogyny as well. There's, <clears throat> I don't think it works because if it was, 
like Adric was part of a crowd of Tartars. He was one of four characters. There's <clears throat> he was also an annoying little shite. Um, so there's there's less of an impact there. But when you're talking about Perry, who's you know a sweetheart of a character played by you know, Nicola Bryant, who everyone seems to adore as well, there's just it's just too nasty, I think. And maybe that's where you know Dave's point really comes in that it's just too near the too near the bow. There's something really visceral about the way in which you know she stands bolt upright, uh, you know, with mm. the skull cap on, and, and, and seems to speak with the voice of Beelzebub. Yeah. I guess Adric had a bit more of a noble ending as well. <laughs> sorry, yes. sorry, Cameron. Well, <laughs> did he, Richie? I mean, yeah, well. <laughs> Maybe he not. Character. He threw himself in mortal danger to prove that he was right about a maths problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying it's one step away from the apple in the teacher's desk. <laughs> Good point. And I think actually... To go back to Steve's other point about this story, it does Perry a disservice, the fact that she dies when the doctor's there, but he's not really the doctor. So it's a companion that gets killed in front of Dr. Bastard. So the actual doctor doesn't get a chance to react to the death of his companion at the time. He's just shown it on a video, like a video nasty. All of yeah. this, I don't know, I feel like all of this, again, comes back to the point that it's meant to make you feel unpleasant to lead into the that it's well, it's obviously all bollocks. <laughs> in a story sense. <laughs> I mean, I realize I realize we're talking not about in a quality story. sense. Yeah. <laughs> in like the story being told to the characters. Yeah. Do you know what? I don't think. I think we don't have to record another podcast ever again. I think Richard just summed up the entire thing. <laughs> Doctor Who is meant to make you feel bad, and it's all bollocks. We've had a great run, guys, but this is when it comes to stop. I'm just not sure that's true, though. Like Doctor Who is a fundamentally aspirational television show about a hero without a gun who wants to do things the right way, and when yep. you subvert that through the central character and make him cowardly and cruel. When you have, you know, the other co-lead die in such grisly circumstances and there's, you know, that sort of abandoned or hope ye who enter here kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, morbidity to the um, to, to proceedings. It just, like, what, why, why does this story exist? Like, what is, what is the dramatic point being made other than, as we've said, Dr. Bastard and, you know, the, the cruel and unnecessary and unusual punishment of, of one of the most, you know, charming leads that we've had. I, I just, I just don't see the point in it at all. Yep. Okay then. Shall we move on to the next point? Uh, who is up next? Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Dave. You might come in and say something there. Does Does anyone have any points left? I have one left in the canon, but the prosecution not got. Yeah, I, mean, um, I do have one that I can just sort of tie up so, yeah. the stuff so, that was said. Every defence okay. turns into prosecution. In. <laughs> <laughs> you see how difficult it is to keep track of this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Sorry, anyway. <laughs> Next point for the prosecution then, Stephen. Okay, well, I think it's probably a case of me tying up a, a number of the points that were made, but I, just bear with me as I go through this line of thought. Sure. I think one of the things that really is a damning indictment in terms of uh, whether Mindwalk is guilty of crimes against uh, Doctor Who or not is the fact that they had a year to address what were the perceived failings of season 22 failings that were so heinous that it led to a hiatus if not a planned cancellation of the show and the creative team come back almost without an ounce of creativity left between them and they continued doing the same thing that they did in season 22 that ultimately led to cancellation of the hiatus 
Um, and what they come back with is something that if we step back and have a look at it, really does appear to be maybe what is the antithesis of what Good Doctor Who is. And Mind Warp seems to be basically what Russell T. Davis has spoken about when he outlines what nobody should be wanting from Doctor Who. This gentleman is Planet Zog with the Zog monsters who have been taken over by the, who have taken over the Zog people and the Doctor has to try and stop them. And it's a horribly thin and really sort of tired um, approach to Doctor Who. And the worst part is the Doctor can't even do that. He can't even stop them. And I think that really is a result of a sort of fundamental shift in the way in which the uh, program is now being made. The creative vision of the show is that the people making it no longer believe in a hero like the Doctor. We no longer have the hero without a gun as a viable alternative to everything that we see, particularly as we've mentioned in terms of 80s uh, violence in, in media. And gone with it is the charm, the wit, uh, the kindness and the warmth of the program itself. So I can turn through that. Uh, Mind Warp's not just guilty of crimes against Doctor Who, but it is like the Valyard, that nasty embodiment of everything that is actually anti-Who. Um, I think as a result, we have with Mind Warp, um, Doctor Who announcing its creative and moral bankruptcy. This is, and I said this in the last record when we were with Ben and Mark, Obviously, the 18-month gap had meant, the obviously, this is the show on possibly its last legs. As a result of this, this is a production team that are essentially throwing everything at what they're trying to do. And they are any, you know, no ideas off limits. They're going to take a chance on everything. I mean, basing an entire series on this one central theme at the time, probably would have been unheard of. Um, you know, I think the only other, I think the only other time, the, the key to time would have been like, you know, the only other sort of possible example of this happening as well. But that was really just like objects that they needed to find. This is actually based on the survival of the character and near the entire show. So they're going to try as much as they possibly can with whatever the heck they've got and they're going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at it. Some of those things will hit. Some of those will graze it a little bit and some of those might not work as well as others. But I would say that this is, and I said it in the last record as well, and I'll repeat the same thing again, this is who at its bravest. This is who at taking that chance. At least it's not playing it safe. It's not trying to, you know, regain sort of any old ground that might have had. It's not trying to take the show backwards into sort of a more comfortable setting. They could have been probably forgiven for going, Oh, it worked with Tom Baker, so we'll just make it again Tom Baker-ish kind of thing. They're actually trying out, you know, let's go here and let's go somewhere completely different. You know, when people complain about, you know, Doctor Who being, you know, woke and safe these days, they should watch this because this is Doctor Who just taking every chance that comes its way and seeing what it can get away with. Cameron's right. It's not woke. It's sexist. It's misogynistic. It's racist. It's derivative. It's largely not Doctor Who. And yeah, they were trying many, many new different things, but none of them were Doctor Who things. And none of them worked largely. It becomes, instead of a story of the Doctor going out and exploring and finding new hope and new things and trying to educate people, it's the Doctor going out, dragging somebody with him, treating them like crap, the person that he's brought with him dies and he doesn't care about anything the whole way through. 
it's not a Doctor Who story. And you can say that there was all the behind the scenes stuff that caused this to happen, but to an extent that doesn't matter. As a Doctor Who story, this fails. Because you don't care about the good guys, yeah. you don't care about the bad guys, the companion dies and the Doctor doesn't care. Okay, defence. Get to come back on that. I still think, and I would repeat my original chance, it's it's taking chances. And it, you know, when you take chances and you're going to go for everything you've got, not everything's going to land 100%. But at least you're taking that opportunity. That That is probably the most positive thing I could say about it as well, is that it's, it really, you could, there is a real attempt on screen at just trying as many new things as it can. It might come across as desperate sometimes and it might, a lot of it doesn't land, but there's a there's an experimentation going on that's trying to find its feet, I think. I don't know if that was a good thing to say. <laughs> I think I think you were fine, Richie, until you said a lot of it doesn't land. <laughs> it was going so well and sorry. then that kind of Yeah, you are remembering you're part of the defence team on this, right? I know, sorry. <laughs> I'm trying I'm really trying to be positive about mind warp. <laughs> I'm really trying to like something I hate. <laughs> come on, come, come now. Look at the shine I've got on this turd already by polishing it. <laughs> I think the very first time I watched this episode, I got up at 6am because I was in France and France was an hour ahead and watched it on UK Gold. That's, that is dedication to the gods. <laughs> it's just like, can you imagine how long a morning that was? <laughs> Oh. I'm interested. You said the second time you watched it, you were in the grip of fever. Oh yeah, how, I bought, how did it I, compare to these two viewings you listened? <laughs> was that a more pleasurable experience for you, or it was a well, I, I I didn't watch it in one go. I broke it up, watched it through the day. Right, and it was a week. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think. I, I mean, you have to cut this. This is this is off the record, isn't it? <laughs> oh, well, we will be the judge of that. <laughs> no, but I, I sat down to watch it, like going, right, okay, get myself in the mindset for some eighties Doctor Who. Yeah, I think I got as far as the lycanthrope, and I was like, <laughs> my favorite bit actually was when he goes, when he goes, ah, they won't, they won't last long down there, and they meet a guy who can't close his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, that's for the right, okay. But anyway, yeah, yeah the werewolf characters, Quite odd nice. to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> It does feel like it's been shoehorned in just so there's a monster for the kids. Yeah. Yeah. To them, we just get told, to, yeah, he's dead, by the way. He died off screen. <laughs> right, on to the next He died scene. on the way back to his home planet. <laughs> does this count as like one of those films or one of those television shows that kills the dog? <laughs> That's precisely oh, yeah. it. This is the Doctor Who version of Old Yeller. <laughs> Instead Does of taking the, the production team around the back to shoot them. <laughs> Brian Blessed took him outside just shouted at him until his brains melted. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I feel like that was another, like, it's, it's a sort of peek into this, this, this scale that they were attempting. And you can see the scale that they were attempting and the scale that they achieved. There's a massive gulf between the, the two, obviously. But like, obviously, he should have been part of a whole range of people in the running about the, the, the underground as a result of like experimentation and stuff like that and then you know and then um but they, they obviously could just get one <laughs> they just had time for one guy because <laughs> it was kind of a, i did i did quite like how it, i like the moment he meets brian blessed and brian blessed is like then you realize that he's not just some guy or some you know mutant uh, when brian blessed meets him there's a nice little moment of 
it's like an immediate backstory there and I can't, that, that, that's what when doctor who, doctor who really hits for me in those moments where it's like all it takes is a wee line or a moment and suddenly you're this whole backstory of this world just goes just opens up in your head so that, that that's positive i guess that's a positive thing to say i guess well done well done thanks, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well done, you offset it, didn't it? Because the things you said about it. Pulled <laughs> yeah. it out of the fire at the last moment. Uh, I'm really and rubbish at this. I was never good at debating. <laughs> <laughs> just added enough water to the acid to make it just. <laughs> right, right then, the defence wants to give one final barnstorming bit of evidence to save Mindwork. I don't Cabot like the way the judge is saying barnstorming in a sarcastic <laughs> fashion. Objection! I'm not. That is, 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 burn, 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 I feel the defence council is reading something into my tone that wasn't there. I feel the defence council has eyes and ears and can hear it coming <laughs> off you from even this distance. You're not really reading anything in tone. It's more the words he's using. Yeah, okay, then, Cameron. On you go. Anyway. You present your lame duck to the court. On you go. <laughs> anyway, um, right. We need to talk about how influential mind warp is on modern day Doctor Who in that um, not only is Kiv's mind taking over Perry's body the first example of a gender swapping character in Doctor Who history it's also by the fact that the Time Lords stop Yukanos from actually intervening with this event because they want to portray it as this is something you know the Doctor Who's in action has enabled this to happen we're not going to help it. We're just going to let it play out. It gives across the sort of cold and callous nature that the Time Lords of Gallifrey sometimes have. So is that cold and calculating nature the foundation stone for the Timeless Child? No and no. Yeah. Have you <laughs> got sore arms from clutching at those straws? Excuse me. Excuse me. Was, was this... Was this um... When was that Chris Chibnall appearance on? Uh... That was in the series. Or it was the series, wasn't Just it? Yeah. This, <laughs> when he tore into Pip and Jane Baker. So I think it was the ultimate foe was the one he went on open air to tear right. limb from limb. So yeah, roughly about the same time. So maybe a seed was planted. Maybe. Maybe. Yep. So for all, it, it, there's a lot here. I feel or a good couple of main points that kind of lead on to things that the show is still exploring. To this day. Except, except in terms of the, uh, the uh, gender switch uh, character, we had that with um, Eldrad in the Hand of Fear. So I don't think, I don't think Mind Warp's the first to do that. But the second thing about the, the Time Lords is I think they've, you know, fundamentally been revealed to be a rotten bunch since pretty much Deadly, Assass Deadly Assassin onwards. They're, you know, the conniving and manipulative and all the rest of it. And you know, we see that again and again. Uh, Arc of Infinity, as terrible as that is. <clears throat> paints the same sort of picture as well um you have that obsequious castellan in the invasion of time this isn't a new character trait i think for the time lords in in trial of the time lord i think it just really recapitulates stuff that we've already seen uh, from from previously so i'm not sure but have they ever actually sort of stood back and watched someone effectively die because that's what they're doing here you could have came into that room stormed the whole place perry would still be fine Whereas they've deemed it that that has to happen to prove a point. So therefore, you know, the Doctor's companion must have, you know, this demise, as we've spoken about already. Uh, they are, they could help directly, but they absolutely do not. 
it just you know I don't think before has it has it happened before that you know someone's actually you know innocent person's death has been a result of time loss just going you know what nah. arguably like an instant spot. the fifth doctor arguably the fifth doctor in invasion uh, in Ark of Infinity where they were happy to sacrifice him uh, to prevent Omega bonding with him um, and having corporal reality in the universe but. I don't think I'll see that point. I don't think there's actually been you know someone who's died and they have stood by and watched it happen. So, not necessarily. Uh... Okay, Dave, you're going to come in there. No, that was just I can't think of a single example where they have. But the Time Lords have always mm. been shown that they don't really care about the little people. Mm. It's a this is thing. this is an absolute crystal clear point that they don't care about the little people in the fact that they're quite willing to watch someone completely die or have their mind ripped out just because they can't be bothered that idea is sown as far back as uh, the war games where they exiled the doctor to one insignificant planet so you know they obviously don't care about all the races like, like consider earth insignificant and a backwater that we can just shove them there for a few years but that's always like the case of oh, we'll do that to the doctor to like a fellow time lord but they won't you know, this is the first time they've just done it to a human who they know is held quite dear to the Doctor. So, you know, it's not as if, you know, Yukanos is saving the Doctor and they've stopped that. It's more just the fact that, you know, that's that he's about to save Perry and they stop him doing that. So it affects not the Doctor, but more Perry. Obviously, the offshot is it will be, it will drive an anger for the Doctor later on in the series that they can do that until he realises, you know, is told the alternative what actually happened but it's it's never it's not him directly that this inaction um this inaction takes having just clocked a look in rich's face while you were speaking there could i just ask is it lonely in that boat by yourself <laughs> i wish i could help i wish i wish i wish i'm so sorry man <laughs> I'm really sorry. I, I was like, I, I, even I'm, I'm sitting here going, he's reaching. He's really reaching. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too late for you to join the prosecution, Richie. The no, rules no. are fluid on the post box. <laughs> Richie's not on the prosecution. I thought he was. <laughs> Been a lonely Sunday. Cameron's... Well, <laughs> oh. I think you've just outlined what fridging is, Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Okay, no is, does anybody else want to dig a hole for themselves or should we move on to the listener evidence? I learned the word oh. sagacity watching this, so that's a plus for me. Okay, yeah, do you want to expand <laughs> on that? No. no. <laughs> that was the only straw you could grasp there. No others. Okay. Anybody got any more points you want to raise? Or are we okay? No, I'm, I'm, the cannon's yeah. empty. I'm done. I'm spent. Cameron's finished scraping the bottom of that barrel. Okay, right. So let's move on to listener evidence. Uh, we've been asking you on Twitter to give your thoughts for or against Mind Warp. This is what we've had. Uh, a mixed bag, I'll be honest, which is fairly surprising, given uh, what we've heard in the courtroom today. David Kitchen says, The moment Perry says she's frightened and wants to leave and the Doctor arrogantly ignores her is a real low point for the era, especially as we know what's coming. Second only to the twin dilemma, in my opinion. Hang mm. on. Cheers, Dave. <laughs> okay, also, a good name and a good point. Uh, next up is Millie McKenzie, who said, I only came into the online fan scene in January and learned that all my favourite stories are universally panned. It's quite depressing, actually. <laughs> I can't defend this with a character limit on Twitter, but Trial is my favourite classic series. It's full of faults, overflowing with them, 
but man, I just love it. So we're going to take that as a tick in mind warp's box there, I think. That, that's somebody who's on his side and says it's full of faults. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is Colin Neal, who says, I love mind warp. It's a story which doesn't give you all the answers, is it a ploy or not, and the ending is gloriously bleak. I prefer it if they hadn't tagged on the marriage ending to part 14, and instead the doctor drops me off at a service station EM23 and then goes back to rescue Perry. Doesn't mention about services though. Then she decides to leave Brian Blessed. The music is sensational too. Looking forward to hearing you talk about this one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to you too. Yeah, Colin might want to take that one back. <laughs> and finally, uh, Pete Lambert, who is professing quite a mess on Twitter, says... I wish they'd given Perry something active to do. She should have been on the verge of achieving yep. something like Adric was, but she just gets captured. I think the Inquisitor is lying at the end of the episode 14 out of embarrassment. <laughs> Harsh bunch. Harsh bunch. Well, it's balanced. It's not all stacked up against Mindwalk, which we might have expected. So there are people that How, why would we have, expected have to love for it. Well, it's not a universally well thought of Doctor Who story amongst... Is it not? Uh, mm, okay, fine. You know. Okay then. In that case, then, shall we get on to the verdict? Let's, Let's. go. Probably better. I wonder which side he's going to come down on. I know. The tension's actually <laughs> killing me. <laughs> Must you two always ruin the magic? Yes, that's what we're here for. This could go yeah. anyway. This literally could fall on any side. Go on, then. Surprise us. Okay, then. Mind warp. Where do we begin with mind warp? It starts promisingly enough. There's a reintroduction of a memorable villain. Definitely the most memorable of the 1980s and there's a believable motivation behind the experiments taking place. I'll look at points. Brian Blessed is gloriously over the top and fits the part he plays perfectly. Not sure it's enough to save it, but what a performance. It's like Paul Darrow in Time Lash, and yes, I'm using that as a positive. <laughs> Perry's exit works brilliantly. We don't see what happens to her during the operation. We see her being strapped down, and the next we see of her, she's gone. She's Kiv. It's a dramatic, short, sharp shock if you don't know what's coming. Also, there's a nice relationship between the Perry and the Doctor at the beginning of the episode, at least. They're comfortable ribbing each other. There's still a bit of needle and irritance, but there's some warmth too. But what a shame that it's undercut by everything that follows it. There's potential for this to be a really good story lurking somewhere within Mind Warp, which is torpedoed by goings-on behind the scenes, which do nothing to rectify the faults within the script and the production. For a start, Ron Jones, the director, didn't have a clue of what was going on in the script when the Doctor becomes affected by the mind probe. Ron Jones consulted Eric Sayward, who didn't know and told them to consult Philip Martin. Philip Martin couldn't be contacted. Surely the script editor should be the person to step in at this point, having been part of the process throughout and most likely to understand the original intentions of the writer. It kind of smacks of Sayward having him already given up at this point and he's booking himself a taxi away from White City. There's swapping great holes in the characterisation of the Doctor. The Doctor's double bluff to Perry in the interrogation scene doesn't do anything to assure us that he's in control. We're briefly led to believe that he is, but it's a trick to gain Perry's cooperation, rather than a hint of the Doctor still being in there somewhere. On the other hand, it does heighten the ideas that things are really out of control. However, there's no let up in this over parts two and three to assure the audience that no matter how bad things are, there's no lightest of touch where it's needed. The story's so dark, there's no indication that things will work out in the end. It does feel like a botched execution when the Doctor eventually does break control later on. Watching this, I had a hard time deciding whether this story has an ominous feel or if it's just plain grim. 
especially for something that's going out on a Saturday night just before Roland Rat and Kevin the Gerbil. There's a need for things to get badly out of control to avoid support of the trial. This is used as a justification to end the doctor's life. Evidence manipulated to the doctor is getting in over his head. And yes, the defence does make a good point about the Dime Lord's deliberate interference in events foreshadowing what comes up later on and a manipulation of events to corner the Doctor and bolster their case for the end of his life. But there's no light and shade in the story. It's all unrelenting. There's no cutaways to the Doctor revealing that he's acting under the influence and there's a plan underneath it all. And yes, but we do get the most dramatic departure for a companion at all of Doctor Who. It leaves a bad taste in their mouth as Perry dies, still believing that the Doctor has thrown her under the bus to save himself. A little moment of the Doctor assuring her that he's taking back control and telling her that he'll do his best to save her would have went a long way here. So there's potential for a decent dramatic story with Mind Warp. It's been hampered by a director who has no help from the writer or the script editor as to what the heart of the story is about. It's a missed opportunity and an episode that could have been a real highlight were it not for so many bad choices and no lightness of touch which could have made all the difference. I understand the need for it to be dramatic but still Mindwarp is guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. Yeah. No. Yes. What a surprising <laughs> revelation there. Uh. Well, I can only hope that the um, public gallery um, shows more nous and, and, and clarity on the situation than this. Uh, the judge obviously does. <laughs> I feel has predetermined his um, stance before he even entered the courtroom today. I can still have you thrown out for contempt of court, Phillips. It's almost like the judge watched it and then judged on what he'd seen. And that's why he brought to the room. I know, I know. Who, who does... Like, what? You've just taken a lid off the magic box, Dave. That's what You're I like, do. Daylight and upon magic. Uh, prosecution, anything to say on the verdict? Well, since they agreed with us, I don't have anything to say now. Justice is served. Fair enough then. Well, justice has been served in the courtroom, but as usual, it's not down to what is said here. It's down to you, the listener. So, for seven days after this episode goes out, we'll put a poll up on Twitter. You get the final choice on whether Mind Warp is guilty or not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who, and we'll reveal the results in our results special episode, which goes out on the 23rd of November on anniversary, Dave. Right then, next time we speak to you, we'll have Terror of the Vervoids in the dock. Uh, we'll have the man, the myth, the legend that is Jordi Al joining Cameron on the defence. He's the man. He's the man. Yeah, he's gonna. He's, he's he's what I would describe as the ace in the hole. <laughs> when you look at Al and you think ace in the hole, then you know it's all gonna go well. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Totally fine. And joining Dave in the prosecution will be Jim from the Crinoid podcast. So that'll be uh, Clash of the Titans. That one. It probably will be. Yeah. Let's Don't rush it. Be. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Richie, Stephen, thanks very much for joining us on this one. Uh, Thank you I've, for having us. It's, it's yeah, been a delight. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, all of us. It uh, has been brilliant. Do you yeah, have anything to spend a Sunday afternoon? Do you have anything you're involved in? You want to plug your podcasts? Anything else that you do? You want to let our listeners know about? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't podcast enough to plug it. But I guess if you wanted to come and watch me play video games, I'm on Twitch as Richard Morgan. That's it. I would say. Stephen, and for me, you can yeah, and for me, you can catch me on uh, the New to Who podcast um, at New to Who podcast on Twitter, um, and uh, yeah, uh, newtohoo.com is our website. There we go. Then Richie didn't even bother to plug his own podcast. That's how much he <laughs> believes in the concept. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, like... yeah, yeah. Go, go and listen. I hate Doctor Who as well. 
There, there are episodes out there, mm. so I guess go and do that, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like you've been ground down over several episodes by people who just still hate Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank, thank you for having me on because it means uh, that I had to watch uh, that Blu-ray box set, which means <laughs> it was now worthwhile buying it. <laughs> It's totally worth your mortgage in the house for, wasn't it? That's why he had to move. Yes. <laughs> okay then. Well, that's it. That's been mind warp put on trial. Like I say, we'll put the poll up on Twitter after this episode goes out. You get the ultimate choice of whether it's guilty or not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who, and we'll be back next week with Terror of the Vervoids on trial. For the moment, though, this has been episode thirty-three of the Police Box. I've been Lee. I've been Dave. And I've been Cameron. I've been Richie. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Stephen. Thanks very much for listening. We will see you in a week's time. Bye bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Seeing you. I, I like the way that Reggie did. And I've been Reggie. <laughs> questioning at the end. <laughs> there was doubt there. <laughs> I've been me. Here's a house. Here's a door. Windows one, two, three, four. Ready to knock? Go away. Play school. Bagger off! <laughs> <laughs>